Good morning, gathering. How are we doing? You good? All right, grab that note sheet. You're going to probably need it this morning. We're in week two of Lost and Found. I'm going to throw some names out at you, and let's see if you recognize any of them. Are you ready? Here we go. Apple, Hewlett Packard, Amazon, Google, Mattel, and you probably hadn't heard of this one, Walt Disney. So all of those companies have something amazing in common, and it's not just that they're really good companies and they're like uber successful. What they all have in common is every one of those companies started in a garage. Here's a couple more. Um, Square, Tesla Motors. Anybody ever heard of a, it's kind of, they're trying to get off the ground. It's a shoe company, Nike. You heard of Nike? Nike didn't start in a garage. Nike started in the back of Phil Knight's trunk. He was opening his trunk and handing out shoes. Sometimes starting small doesn't mean that we end small, and the opposite of that is true as well. So here's something else to think about. Sometimes starting big doesn't mean that we end big. As a matter of fact, 10 companies that raised a combined $1.7 billion. Everybody say billion. $1.7 billion in investment startup capital have already failed this year. We equate small with small and big with big. But this morning, the second week of Lost and Found, what I want to do is I want to share with you from Luke chapter 13, four verses that kind of flip that whole thing on its head, right? Small doesn't necessarily lead to small, and big doesn't necessarily mean big. Let's read what Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 21. Uh, the, the verses will be up on the screens if you don't have a Bible or you don't have a Bible app. So here's what Jesus said. He asked this question, what is the kingdom of God like? What can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed. First of all, let me say this. I love how Jesus teaches in parables. Don't you love that? Um, if you're like me and you grew up in church, then you have heard no end of messages preached by great preachers that you couldn't understand. Am I right? Can I get an amen? Hopefully that's not the case today. It's possible. I'll give you the freedom to say it is if it is. But Jesus taught like nobody else. Jesus didn't use big words. Jesus would take common objects, and he would hold them up and say, see this? And everybody would go, yeah, I use it every day. And he'd go, let me teach you something about God through this. Okay, so that's what he's doing here. That's what parables are. He said, what's the kingdom of God like? What can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. And it grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. And then he asked, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Let me just state the obvious about those four verses. But we all saw that. I mean, even if you're here and you've only had one cup of coffee, your brain's not really functioning well, you already saw this. There was something small, right? And then it became something bigger. Everybody saw that, right? Okay, so now, now we point out the obvious. Let me tie it back to lost and found, okay? I believe this, that this... This series about lost and found, we're looking at um, chapters 13, 14, and 15, and we're seeing that Jesus was on a rescue mission. He invites us to be on a rescue mission with him. There are people um, who are lost, and he wants them to be found. You could be here this morning, and you could feel like you're lost and far from God. He wants you to be found by him, and he wants us to be a part of that. We talked about that last week. He's taking the church, Christians, and he's saying, like, come join me, and let's go hunt some people who were lost and want to be found. They need to be rescued. But if you've ever been a part 
of trying to share the gospel, trying to share your faith with people who don't know Jesus, you've noticed that it's a long process. It's not like you walk up and go, hey, let me tell you my testimony. And they're just like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for sending them. Pray for me right now, right? It's just a long process, and it requires a lot of faith. And so I believe this. I believe that we've got to see that the small steps that we take are going to pay off at some point in a big way. Because we're all going to face situations that we're doing a lot of stepping and not seeing a lot of fruit. Let me give you a couple of examples. How many of you love it when missionaries come and talk? I love to hear missionaries talk, and we usually love these kind of stories. They're like, uh, I went to Sri Lanka, I've been preaching for a year or two, and the whole country's gotten saved. And then we like stand up and cheer, woo, and you're like, Paul, give that person more money, Right? The testimonies that we don't like but are actually much more common are these. I've been in Sri Lanka for 20 years preaching the gospel, and not one person has given their heart to Jesus. That missionary knows the frustration of small things that still have not yet become big. What about this? And I'm thankful to say that I'm not one of them. What about pastors who are faithful and preach tirelessly and minister their entire lives and never see their church grow? Let's use a non-spiritual example. Any parents in the room? Huh, yeah. So, you know, you parent, right? Parenting is a bunch of small things that you hope that you do consistently over 18, 19, 20 years, right? But let's say you're a parent, and you've done that. You've done the small things every day, and then when your child's old enough, they walk out the door, and they go the way of the, par- the prodigal instead of the way of the promise. What do we say to that person? Was all that in vain? I believe that what Jesus is sharing here, I know that it's two parables. I know that the parables are about small things becoming big. But I think there's a greater meaning for us as well. And here's what it is. I believe he gives us two powerful promises that can help us see the big side of small as we're a part of this rescue mission. Here's the first one. The first promise. What seems insignificant will become indispensable. Can I get an amen that I spelled indispensable on the screen for you? Because like some of you would be like Googling right now. Uh, I don't even know how to spell it, so what do I say? Indispensable. All the, the words are up there. You can write them down. What, what seems insignificant will become indispensable. The mustard seed was the smallest seed known to the people he was talking to at that time. And he said this small seed that seems insignificant. I don't know, I don't know what you bend over to pick up. Like if you see a penny, I don't know if you bend over and pick up a penny. Most people are picking up a quarter. Some are picking up dimes. A few pick up nickels. Not a lot of people picking up pennies unless they're like, you know, a three-year-old picking up a penny or it's really shiny and it catches your attention. But in this day, when Jesus was talking, I can guarantee you this, people weren't bending over to pick up mustard seeds. You can read another parable that Jesus talked about somebody sowing seeds. They're just throwing it out there. Just wherever it lands, it lands. Hopefully it lands on the good soil and it grows. Jesus took something that was a throwaway in that society, and he picked it up and he said, this is like the kingdom of God. Because what you think is insignificant is actually going to grow to become indispensable. It's a small seed now. It's going to become a big enough tree that, what do you say, birds could come and land in its branches. Um, it's, it's, it's fall, but not really. It's still summer. And don't you, can I say hate? In, can I say hate as a pastor? Don't you hate the summer in the South? Oh, y'all, who said they like it? Does anybody like it? 
We're having a deliverance prayer after service. Listen, like, when it's 82 degrees in the south, but it feels like 120 because of the humidity, it's just, it's awful, right? It's awful. So listen, I know that we could read this and say, come on, it's, that tree's not really indispensable. It's a mustard seed. It grows into a tree. How big can it be? This tree was like, you know, it grew to be like seven or eight feet tall. And in the whole realm of trees, that's not that big. But it provides shade, and can I get an amen to that on the summer in the south, right? Like, I know how we, like, bump up against buildings to find any kind of shade we can find, right, just to get away from the sun. It was indispensable to people that wanted shade. It was indispensable to the, peop- the birds that were landing in its branches. The point that Jesus is making is not that it's this humongous tree, but that over time, what was, indis- what was, what was insignificant became indispensable. That's how the kingdom of God works. Some of you are taking steps right now to share the gospel with your friends. Like you're in, Jesus has said, hey, come on, let's go. Let's go rescue some people. And you're like, I'm all in on the rescue mission. And you're making these small steps, and it feels like they're insignificant. And I'm telling you, the, the beautiful part about this parable is that what you think is insignificant is going to grow and become indispensable. I love that. I love that. And the promise wasn't just about growing. It was about changing. So look look at what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, the kingdom of God is like this mustard seed, which a man took and planted in the garden, and then it grew and became a much bigger seed. Right? That's not what he said. He said it grew and became a tree. It changed. It transformed. Listen, that's the beautiful part of this rescue mission that we're on. The things that seem insignificant, the things that we could just throw away, not even bother with because they just seem too small, those small steps actually lead to transformation. It just takes time. So the kingdom of God requires patience, something all of us need more of. And the only way to get more patience is to get behind the slow people going to Walmart. What is that? God, today, just teach me patience. And then you get in the slowest line of traffic ever, right? You get behind people that are stopping for school buses that shouldn't have to stop for school buses. You're like, there's like a median in the highway. Just keep going. Oh, that's right. I asked God to teach me patience, right? But this requires patience. It requires patience, but here's what it results in. It results in total transformation. Man, if we will go all in on this principle, that what seems, what seems insignificant can actually become indispensable if we just keep taking the small steps, then here's what we're going to find. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Again, it's going to be on the screen for you. It says this, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, The Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Let me, before we finish it, let me just make sure you get this. I know that's really weird language. Like, veiled faces, unveiled faces, what's going on? This is just a picture of salvation, okay? Um, I can only speak from personal experience. The best part of my wedding, absolutely the best part of my wedding, was when the veil was lifted and (laughs) happened. I ain't kissing Wendy through no veil, right? Like we're lifting that thing up and then we're close, right? That's what he's talking about. Some of us are far from God. And so we kind of had veiled faces, but then he's lifted that veil. We've been brought in because of Jesus and now we've got salvation. What he's saying is because that happened, here's the promise. We are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What he's saying is like, look, we will be and others will be changed by the gospel. You will be changed by the gospel. I don't pray on Sunday mornings, God, when people come to the gathering, let them be changed because you will be. 
It's a promise. You will be changed by the gospel. It just requires patience. But it always leads to total transformation. So what if the changes seem small? What if they seem insignificant? You've got to give it time. The transformation is coming. What seems insignificant will become indispensable. Here's the second one. Um, do I have anybody in the house who likes to cook? Bakers, chefs, raise your hands. Be proud. Come on, get those hands up. Let's, I'm just trying to see who to go eat lunch with. Come on, invitation coming. So Jesus, he did the second parable just for all you chefs in the house. He talks about um, a cooking item. He says, we um, have yeast, and the yeast is put into, uh, my version says 60 pounds of flour. I'm not sure what yours says. But what's important is that's enough flour that when it's ready to be baked would feed 100 people. Okay, so a little bit of yeast is going to eventually affect a lot of flour, and it's going to feed a lot more people. Right? So what seems invisible, that's the yeast. Because I know that you can see yeast when you put it into the, flour, into the flour, but you don't really see the yeast work. You don't, like, look in the flour to find, oh, there's the yeast, and it's, look, it's working hard. No, you just kind of put it in there. And then what do you do? You trust. You give it time to work its way through all the flour. It starts to rise, and then you're ready to start baking. You can't see it. You can only see the effect of it. And so this promise is that what seems invisible will become inescapable. Again, I have spelled that for you. I thought that was nice of me. There's this um, takeover quality to the kingdom. Like give, give God enough time and he can take over things. There's this takeover quality to the kingdom. A little over time becomes a lot but because we can't see it, we tend to want to short-circuit that process. Have you ever done that? Short-circuit the process? Like, so I, I, you already know I don't like summer. So when summer's over, I, don't, I run a lot. I don't run a lot during the summer because I just I can't stand running in the summer. So when summer's over, am I in better shape or worse shape than the beginning of summer? I'm in, yeah, you don't have to say it like you believe it. Thanks so much. I am in worse shape, right? And so um, at the end of the summer, what will inevitably happen is I'll start thinking to myself, P90X, T25, insanity. These are all appropriately named, especially insanity, right? But I don't really want to do it. I just want to, like, snap my fingers and have it, right? If you've ever done any of these workouts, you understand what I'm saying. Like, you start so well. I'm going to do insanity, and then, like, three workouts in, I'm insane. What am I doing? This is crazy. I'm just going to pray hard and ask God to give me the body, right? We want to short-circuit the process because we realize it actually is work. We have to trust the process because we're doing the work, and we're looking in the mirror going, I don't think it's happening. I don't feel any different. But you can't short-circuit the process. Here's what I've learned about our culture. We love overnight success stories, don't we? But here's the truth about overnight success stories. Most of them are over-decade stories that you only heard about last night. You're, you're pretty sure it happened like that, but, man, they've been working it for a long time. They've been trusting the process for a long They've done things that you never saw. It's been invisible, and now you see it everywhere. It's inescapable. It takes trust. It takes trust. So the kingdom of God requires perseverance and results in total impartation. Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians 13. 
verses 9 and 10. Here's what he said. He said, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Completeness is coming. So that yeast is eventually going to work its way through the whole batch of flour. And if it doesn't, you can't use it. And so the kingdom of God, the beautiful promise is that what you're doing right now that seems invisible, maybe you're really pouring your heart into reaching your friends or your family for Christ, and they don't even see you. Like you talk to them about Jesus, and they're just like clueless. They're not even paying any attention to you at all. The promise here is that over time, given enough time, trusting the process, there's this takeover characteristic to the kingdom. And he's going to use what you're doing, and it's going to grow and grow. And eventually, guess what's going to happen? Inescapable. They're not going to be able to get away from God. They're not going to be able to get away from the Holy Spirit. They're going to come find you and go, what is happening? Like, you've, I've watched you. I've heard your words, and, like, you thought I wasn't listening, but now I can't stop thinking about them. There's this takeover mentality. If, if the mustard seed promises that will be changed by the gospel, then the yeast promises that will be consumed by it. We'll be consumed by the gospel, and so will others around us. Psalm 139, 7 through 12, David's writing, and he says this. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Um, Sheol is like a word for hell. So I don't know if you're following me here, but I just want to take a little detour. If I make my bed in hell, can we agree that that is hell, making your bed? We agree with that. Like, especially if you're married and you have decorative pillows. What is the point of that? I have made the bed and decorated the, the bed with pillows that no guest will ever even see. We don't give guests tours of our bedroom. Come on back. It's where the magic happens. Check it out, right? We don't do that. You don't do that. You don't get tours of the master bedroom. Why are we putting decorative pillows? Why are we, this is, see, this is, this is scriptural proof that that's hell, right? So hell, you don't want to go there, right? You don't have to go there. There's a better way. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Listen, there is no way to escape the presence of God. And I don't mean that in a scary way. I'm just telling you, we already know this. The pursuit changes everything, and we have a God who is pursuing you. He wants you. He loves you. And he's like yeast that's working its way through flour so that it can become food for many. He wants all of you. He's willing to work his way through you so that you can become useful to him to reach many. And I love that. You're not invisible to God. He sees right where you are. And the things that you're doing to show the gospel to your friends, to your family, it might seem like it's invisible to them, but I'm telling you, the promise of the yeast is that God sees what you're doing and that there is a big side of small. 
if we just don't shy away from it. And listen, we're not a society that really likes small. We want the big thing. And here's your big idea. Don't miss something big because something small leads to it. I mean, what if, if the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed? What if we just went, ah, who needs it? We just threw away the kingdom of God. I'm going to bake without yeast. All the chefs in the house are like, good luck finding anybody to eat that, right? What it, don't miss something big because something small leads to it. And embrace that small step. Continue to do the small step. Be faithful in the small things. And watch God do something big as a result of it. If what we're doing seems small and invisible, then our patience and perseverance will pay off in the end if we don't quit. I thought about, like, how do I wrap this, story, this whole sermon up? Like, what's the best way? What's the memorable way for me to close this whole thing out? And I started, like, thinking about all the people in, in the Bible and who could I use as an example. And I settled on somebody that's not in the Bible. And his name is Cliff Young. I think we might have a picture of Cliff Young. So let me tell you the story of Cliff Young. Every year, Australia hosts this amazing ultra race. They run from Sydney to Melbourne. It's 543.7 miles long. It's 875 kilometers. And it's considered one of the world's most grueling ultra marathons. The race takes five days to complete it. And the athletes that run it are typically less than 30 years old, and they're typically backed by large companies like Nike. Nike's come a long way, haven't they? From Phil Knight's trunk. But in 1983... As everybody was gathering at the start and they were picking up their bibs, if you're, if you're a runner or a racer, you know you get your bib and you put it on so they can kind of track you, take pictures, all that kind of stuff. As everybody's picking up their bibs, this man walks up. He's 61 years old. He's wearing overalls and boots. And everybody just assumed he was there to watch the race until he walked up and picked up his bib number and put it on. And his name was Cliff Young. The press and the athletes we're curious about him, and they said, you're crazy, like you're old, there's no way you're going to finish this race. And here's what Cliff Young said. Yeah, I can. See, I grew up on a farm where we couldn't afford horses or tractors. And the whole time I was growing up, whenever the storms would roll in, I'd have to go out and round up the sheep. We had 2,000 sheep on 2,000 acres. Sometimes I'd have to run those sheep for two or three days. It took a long time, but I'd always catch them. I'm pretty sure I can run this race. So when the race started, the pros quickly left Cliff behind. The crowds, the television, the audience, they all forgot about Cliff Young because they were focused on the leaders. All the professional athletes knew that to win this race over five days, what you had to do was you had to run for 18 hours a day and then sleep the other six. And so that's what they did. They ran the first day for 18 hours and they put up their tents, whatever, they slept for six hours. But when they woke up the next day, what they found was that Cliff Young never stopped. Somebody asked him about that, like, what's, what's the plan there, Cliff? And he said, my plan is I'm not going to sleep. I'm just going to run it straight through. And so every day he would get a little ahead, and then they would pass him, and then they would sleep at night, and he would keep going until by the last day he had finally caught the lead pack. Cliff Young was the first one to cross the finish line that year. He won the race at 61 years old, and he set a brand-new course record. 
when he was given the winning prize of $10,000, he said, I didn't even know that there was a prize. So they say that he took the $10,000 and gave most of it away to the people that he'd been running against, which made all of Australia love him even more. He ran it the next year. He came in seventh because he had a displaced hip during the race. And then in 1997, at the age of 76, Cliff Young decided that he would run around the border of Australia. That's 16,000 kilometers in order to raise money for homeless children. He only ran 6,520 kilometers only because he had to pull out because his only crew member got sick. He died at the age of 81. Listen, Cliff Young won that race because he believed in our big idea. He didn't miss something big because something small led him to it. What he did was the small thing. I'll just take a few steps and another few steps and another few steps. So small, as a matter of fact, that people made fun of the way that he ran because it looked more like a shuffle. And if you've ever seen it, don't be offended if, you, if I think I'm lumping you in here because I am quickly approaching this group. But if you've ever seen an older person run, it can look funny because it looks a little less like running and a lot more like shuffling. But guess what happened as a result? People that run ultras today, they use what's now called the young shuffle. He revolutionized the sport without even trying to. That same race in Sydney, Australia, from Sydney to Melbourne, you know what you don't do if you race that race anymore? You don't sleep. You, that people know, I'll never win the race if I sleep. And so now everybody that goes in that, they all run until they're finished. A 61-year-old man changed the face of a race and a sport simply because he said, it might seem insignificant to some, and it might look invisible, and I'm okay not being watched, but I'm just going to keep being faithful and doing what I know, and it's going to work out to something big. You see, that's the kingdom of God. That's what he wants for us. In Matthew chapter 25, you can read it on your own time, verses 14 through 30. Jesus tells a parable about men who were given talents. And they said, the, the person who gave them the talents said, look, I'll be back, so you know, do what you can with the talents. And so one, two of them multiplied, like doubled their talents, and one of them hid it because he was afraid of the guy that gave him the talents. Anyway, it's a great story. Read it on your own time. But here's what, it, here's what jumps out at me about that parable. Faithfulness leads to more, and unfaithfulness leads to loss. I mean, if we're going to find people that are lost, if we're going to be a part of this lost and found rescue mission, we've got to be faithful in the small things, right? And trust that that's going to lead us to greater things. You've got to be faithful, continue to be faithful in the areas that you think are insignificant and invisible. And if you'll be faithful in those areas, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be this huge day soon, uh, mom and dad, where you're going to get to pray with your children to follow Jesus, you're going to have a huge day soon where you get to baptize your son or your daughter, your grandson or your granddaughter, because they've watched your life and your willingness to take small steps, even if your faith looks like a Cliff Young shuffle. As long as you keep moving forward, as long as you keep moving forward and trusting that God is working behind the scenes to bring something indispensable and inescapable through your life, man, it's going to pay off big time. Big time.
And that's what God wants. He wants us to continue to do the things that seem small and insignificant and invisible and trust that he will bring the harvest. Don't miss something big just because something small leads to it. I want to pray this morning about, about a couple of things. So I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes, and, and let me just present these to you, and then you respond. You're not going to have to stand up. You don't have to come to the front. I do believe there's power in raising our hands, not so that we see it and call that out, but I think it's just something about saying to God that you have moved in my heart enough that I'm going to raise my hand. I'm going to do something if we don't respond in some way, then all I've done is talk for 26 minutes or so for no point, right? I didn't do this to move you. I did it so you would move. Big difference. So check this out. There are those of you in the room, and you feel insignificant. You feel like the things that you're doing don't matter. And this morning, God wants to encourage you that he sees you and that what you're doing does matter. He is using you to bring about change. You, you are looking for total transformation in a family member or in a friend or a coworker, and you don't even see, you know, a bit of even partial transformation. And it's so easy to kind of throw our hands up and say, well, God, I've been trying, but I guess it's just too small and it's not going to work. And he says, just faith like a mustard seed, like it's a mustard seed and just a small thing is going to become big. Is, is that you? Just raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to pray with you. Thank you so much. Here's the second group. And it, it could feel similar, but some of you feel invisible, right? I mean, the, thing, the difference between the two is you can feel insignificant, but people still saw what you did. You're doing things for them, and they see it, but nothing, you don't see change happening. But some of, some of us feel even worse. We really feel invisible. Like nobody sees anything that I do. I'm killing myself. I'm working hard. And, and I just want to encourage you this morning that God sees you and that you're like yeast. Yeast doesn't have to try to work. It just does, right? You put it in that flour and give it enough time and trust the process, and eventually that flour is going to rise, and you're going to be baking some amazing bread. And this morning, if you're here, you just feel invisible, not just to people, but even if you're honest to God. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me? I want to pray with you. Thank you so much. That's courageous, I know. Thank you. I just want to pray over the two, those two groups, because he sees you. And what you're doing matters. It matters. So, Father, just as we close out this morning, I want to thank you for four really powerful verses in the Bible. I mean, let's be honest, God, only you can make a mustard seed and yeast powerful. If it's, if it's on us, we're passing that stuff. We're bypassing it in the stores. We're not stopping to pick it off the ground. We just see it as seed and yeast, but you saw them as promises in this, in this search and rescue mission. You saw them as promises that what we're doing and seems small is actually growing to be something much bigger, that it is not insignificant. It is not invisible. It will be indispensable, and it will be inescapable. You will take over this city, this county. You will take it over through your gospel. 
because that's what your gospel does. And so I pray, God, for these hands that went up. Thank you for people that would respond and simply say, that's me. I feel like I'm insignificant. I feel like I'm invisible. And while those feelings are valid, they're not the truth because your word is clear that that seed is going to transform totally into a tree. That yeast is going to consume total impartation. It's totally going to take over that flower. And so we trust as we leave here, God, that we are going to stand up like an army of Cliff Youngs. And if the best we've got is a young shuffle, we are shuffling out of this place trusting you that your process is working. And we believe, God, that family members and coworkers and friends and students and teachers, we believe, God, that the people that are in our lives that need Jesus are going to watch our faithful walk with you and come to know him. And for that, God, we say thank you. In your name, Jesus, amen.